Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. back the neil haley show in the total celebrity segment and what my dream was and i remember this uh especially when dancing with the stars started to become big time i said i really want one of the dancers from dancing with the stars on the show and she was my first and i have interviewed the celebrity dancers and everyone since then but i'm excited to welcome the program from dancing with the stars sharna burgess sharna thanks for calling and you got to be so blown away in how many seasons you've been on the show and how it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger wouldn't you agree yeah i mean this show is definitely a phenomenon i don't think anyone could have predicted 26 seasons ago that it was going to get to this point and still be going so strong it's still one of the number one shows on television certainly on the abc network and uh i'm just so grateful to be a part of it and so grateful to be back on your show absolutely sharna and you think about you think about how dance it's taken dancing to a next level that everyone wants to be part of this i was part of this one fundraiser where they were doing dancing and just everyone is so interested in this and it really kind of is brought dance back and meaning forms of dance and i think that's just fabulous that it's happened because i think now guys see this as masculine and i think this show has just done so much to to change your profession in so many ways the 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 the, the appearance of it the yeah, uh, yeah. I, it absolutely has i mean look for example you have People like Joshua Norman, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, out there dancing with me. And I think it shows that dance isn't, isn't a feminine thing. It's not just for girls. It's not anything. It's just a lot of fun. And it's a great way to get up and moving, learn something different, learn about yourself, get confidence with your body. Uh, and it's just good for the heart and soul. And I, I, what's something I love is that Dancing with the Stars is a big part of putting dance back on the map and in the living rooms of everybody sitting at home watching and inspiring people to get up, to get moving, to get fit, to get, you know, the confidence to go and take that class that they want to. Uh, and so it's become so much more than just a dance show for people. And, and I love being a part of that. And uh, definitely, and that's the excitement of how it continues to grow and develop and how you're recognized everywhere and not just the celebrity dancer. Now, when you first started working out with Josh, you think about, again, his position, and there's a lot of footwork. Did he have that ability to start with when you started training him? Because you're the teacher. You're the one that says, okay, I get this celebrity. I sit down with them. I watch what they do. How was he right when you started working with him? He was, from off, from the word go, he was a great student and he had really great footwork, but he also came with bad posture. 
so there's there's assets to being uh, a superstar athlete and, and highly skilled. And then there's also the downfalls of things that I have to untrain out of him. Um, but I will say that athletes as a whole, when we have them on the show, are just so uh, exciting to teach for us. Not because they're naturally rhythmical, because believe me, most of them aren't, but because they're so used to training their body to physically do something, to put it through grueling hours of physical activity and pushing it to do something it's not used to. And that is, it's a very tough thing uh, for us to push our bodies to do. And so athletes just have a knack for it. See, that's interesting. They train so much, but they train so differently. Different muscles are used in dance, aren't they? That they first get their first workout and we're by oh, just dancing. And then you tell them, hey, you better start training some of these things. And they probably look at you like, really? Because, again, they've been always told, this is how I train. Yeah. What muscles are different for, let's say, a football player when they try to go out and dance that they use? That, that would be interesting. Oh, for, yeah. Believe it or not. Believe it or not, dancers use their ankles in completely different ways to um, football players. And Antonio Brown, who I danced with a couple of years ago, wow. has even said yeah. to me that he felt his experience on Dancing with the Stars made him a better football player because we worked so much on how to load as much power into your foot, even to the very tip of your big toe, and to consistently use that to make your stride longer or to make your stride stronger, uh, which is what we do in dancing. We can load so much power into our big toe and, and be able to move from that. And it was uh, a really interesting thing. He was fascinated by it and really took on all that information. And, I mean, we'll look at him. Look at him now and what he's doing on the field. He's absolutely yes. phenomenal. He is, and we're going to thank you because Pittsburgh thanks you, Sharna. I was going to bring up Antonio because that's the other thing when I thought, oh, my gosh, my first answer that she ends up with Antonio Brown, our favorite player on the Steelers, one of our favorite players on the Steelers, and you really helped him in that way because, again, he's had some big-time seasons since Dancing with the Stars. So there you go, Sharna. I think a lot of Pittsburgh fans need to vote for you again this year just because of what you did for Antonio. Ah, oh, that's so sweet. Well, thank you. It was absolutely my pleasure. I adore him. Still a good friend of mine. I uh, recently just caught up with him. And uh, you got to know, I might be dancing with someone from the Redskins, but I'll always be a Steeler girl. I love it. I love it. And then you, you're you going to tell Josh, I did said that when you were probably doing the DC tour, you said the Redskins. Just kidding, Sharna. You're good in that way, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably say that again. If you were doing a DC radio tour, you'd say, oh, Redskins never going to bring up the Steelers. But everyone loves the Steelers, Sharna, all over the country. Has that been a big thing, too? And I want to get right into this athlete part of the show this year where it's all athletes for the season. But how, how, because you dance with Antonio, you see how many Steeler fans are across the country, aren't they? When you're traveling or all over the world and they mention you oh just because of that reason. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I come across Steeler fans in LA, uh, definitely in airports. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's always wonderful to come across a fan of, of the show and that had the experience of watching Antonio grow that season. 
Um, it really was a, a great moment. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm not lying. I'm not making it up. I'm a Steeler girl. I was rooting <laughs> for you guys All right. uh, last season, and I will be again this one. Yes, yeah, so go ahead and vote, vote, vote for Sharna for sure. But what about the athlete point really quickly? What do you think of this season changing it up for all athletes? And so you're really looking at some competitive uh, athletes of all ages in this season. Was it different when you first heard about this? And what do you think how it's developed with uh, – they, um, yeah. Look, going into this four-week athlete season, I think all of us, fans included, thought, oh, that'll be easier. You know, it's only four weeks. They'll be athletes. Surely that'll be, you know, a pretty easy run. And let me tell you, it, it is absolutely not. It's probably one of the more difficult runs because we're doing double dances so early when people that are non-dancers and have no dance experience really struggle with that. So it's longer hours already. It's more pressure already. Uh, my gosh, we're in week three and it's the semifinals. It's almost over. Uh, so it's been definitely a tough season to figure out how to create the journey and get improvement and um, create incredible content with not having as much time as you would like to get to that level. So it, it's been intense. Well, Sharna... We got to vote for you, right? Especially all over the country. Vote for you. That's what do you right. think? What do you think of your chances? Especially when you talk about the world class athlete that you're dancing with. What do you think of your chances of winning the winning the, the winning this uh, trophy? Oh, listen! I think there's probably a good four or five people that have a great shot at winning it right now, and I think Josh is one of them. Uh, so it's all going to come down to who makes it through this next triple elimination, and then kind of who has the best freestyle. All right, so everyone needs to tune in Monday nights to Dancing with the Stars and vote for Sharna. And we can follow you on all different social media platforms, right, Sharna? Yep, that's right. You can follow me absolutely everywhere at Sharna Burgess. Sharna, it was great catching up. Uh, continued success uh, with uh, your your brand and how you're becoming a superstar, just like the celebrities. I think the dancers are becoming more of the celebrities now, and it's great for dance, and it's great for uh, the competitive urge of getting people in shape when our country needs to get in the oh. best health possible. So thanks again for calling, Sharna. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks. All right, bye. You too. Bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley's show on the Total Celebrity segment. And, you know, this woman uh, absolutely is uh, amazing in what she's done. And uh, people know her from MTV. People know her as an Olympian. And now, again, she's trying to inspire others as well. So I'm excited to welcome the program Olympian Louise Hazel. Louise, how are you? And thanks for calling today. I'm good, thank you, Neil. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and uh, it's got to make you excited this time, especially. But let's take us back to when you dis- did. You ever think you would be an Olympian, especially when you, you know, started training and doing all these uh, different things? Did you ever think that you'd reach that pinnacle of being an Olympian? Absolutely. Um, I think you know, I'm a big proponent of if you don't believe in something, it will never happen. Um, I kind of knew that I had the ability to be an Olympian at the age of 10. And whilst I think everybody at school, you know, you don't really know what you're going to do when you're 10 years old, I had a very much a focus. I knew that I was going to be a sportswoman and I knew I had a real talent for sport and that was all sports at that age. It wasn't just uh, track and field. But yeah, I just had this 
it's equally feeling that it was for me. See, that's fabulous. And and in that process, you probably, once you did become an Olympian, did you have plans for your brand afterwards? Like, again, everyone is as as an athlete, life after that sport. Were you preparing yourself throughout that time when you knew you were going to, that what am I going to do after this? And especially like where where you're looking as an entrepreneur, looking as as a TV star and all those things? Yeah, I, I didn't expect my retirement from sport to come so early. I competed in London 2012. It was my first and last Olympic Games. And I just felt as though that particular occasion, competing in your home country, in a home stadium with 80,000 people cheering you on, is never going to be replicated. It's never going to feel the same when you go to Rio in four years' time. And so I made my exit from sport very much at a high and at a peak. Um, and I transitioned quite seamlessly over to television. Um, and, you know, I think if I'd have left it two or three years later, then I wouldn't have had the ease of access that I enjoyed um, in starting my TV entertainment and also fitness career. But, you know, it's still one of those things that I find myself in transition kind of every day, uh, sometimes being, you know, pigeonholed. Right. Um, but I've taken those things and kind of leaned into them with what I'm doing in fitness and also TV. And see, that's that's the thing you've been able to do, Louise, is that you have been able to keep, once you have some opportunity, you say, well, how am I going to go ahead and take this and extend this? So being part of MTV's The Challenge, Champs versus Stars, and also uh, your latest one with MTV, you really have uh, saw, well, I'm going to kind of take, and I'm creating my brand by having these opportunities, an Olympian and everything. So tell us specifically your real you know, uh, passion right now, which is this platform Slay. How did that develop? So um, I launched Slay with Lulu as literally about two, three weeks ago. Um, and I've launched on-demand training, so video workouts that you can just go along and subscribe to for minimal monthly fee. And we have um, a series of workouts coming. So this is just the first one. And it's basically a 30-day training plan designed to get you back into fitness and engaged again. And so there's 30 days for beginners, and it's simple bodyweight exercises you can do it at home, wherever you are, whether you take your laptop with you or you take your phone. And this is literally the first part of 12. So it's a series that is designed to get people thinking more long-term about their health and fitness. And so it's designed to be sustainable. This isn't like an insanity workout where I'm expecting you to go hell for leather. Of course, I want you to work as hard as you can. Yes. But, you know, definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting to get different results. This is very much about progression, cranking it up gradually and just seeing what we can squeeze out of you. And that's a lot like Olympic training, really. Yes. You know, we, um, as Olympians, we, we go to the track every single day consistently. And I think the perception is that we train at 100% every day. No. But in reality, it's more like 70 or 80%. On that one day when you're asked to perform, or that one day when it's your wedding, or it's, you know, time to hit the beach, you're ready. It's as simple as that. You don't even have to think about it. 
And Louise, doesn't it amaze you the way we're doing workouts today? I mean, I just got back training again. You know, I did some beach body deal or different things like that, and I just didn't like it. And I finally got a place. It's not like a, it's like a CrossFit that I work out in, but these trainings are phenomenal because you have somebody pushing you every second, and that's where everyone needs a personal trainer because your mind will not be on specifically enough. What exercise do I need to do again? We're, so we have such busy schedules. And I've seen so results of just going and having a guy right on a board. Here's what you're going to do. Boom, 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 step by step. And the exercises are fun. And I'm sure that's what you looked at when you're developing your platform is I want to make these exercises fun. They have really become really interesting, right? I think social media has helped people become more and more uh, uh, try different things than the old traditional stuff when I was in my 20s. I'm 45 now. I love it. It's, It's really fun. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, um, platforms like Instagram, if you hashtag fitness in Instagram, you are bombarded with a wealth of information. And so the question is, okay, how do I cut through the noise? Um, and that's what I wanted to do with slaywithlulu.com. I wanted to make sure that you're getting quality information, like scientific training that's yes. designed to keep progressing and keep pushing you with awesome kind of fun exercises that, um, you know, has an, an ongoing theme. It's not just one workout because it's it's okay to do, you know, one workout, but the question is, what are you going to do tomorrow? Yes. And so what I try and do with all of my training is take the thinking away for people and save them time because, you know, that, that's, I think, when I turned up and to training and I had an Olympic coach, like, he was completely invaluable. I had to turn up and just get on with whatever he said and sometimes fight back with him at the same time. <laughs> Well, again, we're talking to Louise Hazel of MTV's The Challenge, Champs vs. Stars, and also her platform, Slay. Louise, I think that the key component in all this is that there's so much noise out there and working out. You have to find something that really fits you. And I think you're looking at the person who doesn't have the time, wants to work out. You'll motivate them, and it's proven because you do these workouts, right, in your, in your training. And that's what makes it so special to your platform. Hundred um, percent. You know, I whilst I still do these workouts, I designed them with, you know, the average user in mind. I didn't design it with like, you know, an Olympic heptathlete in mind. I thought, what can, um, you know, what will my best friend do if I was writing a trading plan? What would she be able to be capable of? It's very realistic. You'd be surprised at how easy some of the workouts are, but don't let that fool you because, you know, those those harder ones will get you. You know what I also love is when you look great, Louise. Just just tell you, you, you look very, very in great shape. You're fantastic. When we see people are personal trainers that Thank are not you. living living their dream, living it. There are lots of people out there that call themselves personal trainers and yet mm. aren't doing the workouts. They're pushing people, or they might be in just great shape, but they're not really practicing what they're preaching. You know, they might be doing shortcuts. You really right. motivate yourself, and that's what Slay's about. Mm-hmm. So pe- where can people find info on that right now so they can go ahead and check out your workouts, check out who you are and all that stuff? Where's the best place we can go? So um, Slay is available on slaywithlulu.com, and we've also just launched our first round of podcasts. We actually have the NBA uh, star Booby Gibson, who is featuring on Champs vs stars with me at the moment we have his interview up on the site as well now so you can go and check that out 
Hey, we got so we got to check out Champs versus Stars as well, and all that stuff, Louise. And and you know what? You're fabulous. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. And I'll tell you, I'm gonna check that stuff out because I am now becoming a workout crazy person. I started working out two months ago and I'm so motivated to get in better and better shape. Even I'm 45 years old and I tell myself it every day, it's so worth it because I have the energy to do what I need to do by working out. And when we don't, we just really shortcut ourselves in our lives from uh, really having that energy and enjoyment throughout the day. Well, thanks again for calling. Appreciate it. For sure. Thanks, Lise. Age isn't nothing but a number, Neil. Uh, that's, what, that's, what, uh, that's what I say. I'll have to tag you in something when I'm working out. All right, take care, Louise. See ya. All right, see ya. Okay, bye. Please do. Take care. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley's show on the Surreal segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program my co-host, Sarah Bella. Sarah, how are you? And uh, as I told you, when I line up Thursday night's guests, they're very different, very interesting, but it always will keep you on on your toes. So how are you, Sarah? Always excited. I'm doing well and excited to introduce our guest tonight, Brandon James. He is starting to publish a memoir with a tentative title, A Life Lived with Purpose. I like that title. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Um, I'm just a little bit tired. I'm actually in in Reykjavik, Iceland. Um, So it's 2 a.m. here where I am. So, um, I'm, I'm up late, but it's a, it's a good night. I'm having a good time. <laughs> and I was so I'm excited. Good. I'm glad you could join us. <laughs> and Sarah, I was going to say, I was How so excited. Yeah, we're doing great. And I was so excited, Brandon, when I heard this, because when your publicist said, oh, you know, I said, we have to do it now. I see how motivated you are to get your story out there. And I give you kudos. Some celebrities would say, no way. I'm not doing it. I'm too tired traveling. But Brandon, you're a trooper for sure. Oh, thank you. You know, it's, it's been a long time coming, me wanting to tell the story. Uh, it's kind of a, a conversation I started a, a few years ago, and um, it was important to me. There's, there's a catharsis behind it. Um, and also, I'm always up for a, a good interview every now and again, so I'm happy to be here. All right, all right. Okay, Sarah, I know you have some interesting questions for Brandon, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, your, mem- your memoir titled A Life is Purpose, talks about your your life story. You, you had a difficult childhood. So how did you overcome these adversities to becoming a successful artist? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, 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 don't, I couldn't really pinpoint it to one thing. I guess I, in my mind, I just, I always told myself never to stop. Um, and I, I always, um, relied on, on the help of friends and asked them questions, and uh, many of them mentored me. And a, a friend of mine who's a very successful performing artist told me, you, you'll know when it's time to leave, um, like leave the business, because over the years, through different things, that, uh, obstacles that I've had in my life, I thought, well, how am I going to continue as an artist? And this doesn't make sense to me, or it doesn't feel right, or things aren't moving the way I want them to. Um, and she, she once told me, she said, you'll know in your, in your body, in your gut when it's time to leave. And, um, I've never felt that. So I thought, I guess I should just keep on going. <laughs> and that's interesting, Brandon. So give me pinpoint to some of the difficulties you had in childhood that you had to overcome. Well, I grew up in a very, um, religious conservative family in Orange County. It, it was a, it was a loving environment, but, um, as a young 
gay individual, um, LGBT kid, I, I was very confused and I didn't know, I didn't have anyone to talk to. I couldn't speak to my parents about the situation. I couldn't speak to my friends. Um, I was getting mixed messages at, at church about what might happen to me if I chose the lifestyle of homosexuality. So um, that was kind of adversity number one, which lasted until I, I really came out, which was about 20 years old, um, at which time my, my parents and I very much disagreed. Um, my dad actually came up to San Francisco, surprised me, knocked on my door where I was going to school at the time, and begged me to come home uh, to Southern California and start over again and get out of the lifestyle, um, as, as they called it. My, my mom actually... She left a letter for me one day. Um, she'd been visiting me in Switzerland where I was working, and she left a letter for me on my television telling me that I was that she knew I was gay um, and that our family couldn't accept it and that I wasn't welcome home until I fixed it. Um, so it was, it was a lot to deal with. I, I hadn't I never had the chance to tell her that that I was gay, but um, it, it took about eleven years for us to, to come to terms with the idea that we don't have to agree uh, to agree in order to love each other. Um, and now we couldn't be better friends. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for their love and support and, um, things, things are good. So, so that's some adversity that I've overcome for sure. Just my relationship with them. Every time that, any time that we talk about adversity, I always like to share a quote. Um, that I carry with me whenever I talk about adversity, and that is, you know, as long as you continue remembering that challenges are what keep life interesting and overcoming them are what make life meaningful. So, you know, definitely sharing your stories, meaningful not only to essentially what you've overcome, but in helping others kind of overcome maybe a similar experience it's definitely great whenever someone can share their voice in in their life story, especially as meaningful as, as what you've gone through. And all, you know, these are the kinds of things that help you know remove stigmas. So it's always great to hear um, you know things being talked about. Um, but you know, I've also I have another kind of random question. But why did you audition for America's Got Talent? Um, well, I've always had a sort of a random obsession with reality, uh, competition reality TV shows, starting with American Idol. Actually, I didn't watch the first season with Kelly Clarkson, but someone turned me on to her, and then I watched the second season and was a religious fan ever since, and always sort of dreamt of, of being on one of those shows, but I'm a classical singer, so I auditioned for American Idol many times, for The Voice many times, and they always said, you're such a great singer, but we don't know what to do with you because this is a, a, singer for, a show for pop singers. Um, so someone just, someone told me you should audition for America's Got Talent, and it was kind of in the back of my mind for a couple of years, um, and I knew the auditions were coming up, and it, it sounds crazy, but someone said to me, well, are you going to audition? I was like, I don't think so. I'm just coming back from Australia at that time. It's not the right time. And they said to me, they said, well, you know, if you don't audition for things, you're never going to get anything. And it sounds simple, and obvious, but it's what I needed to hear in order to kind of push myself a little further. So so that's why I went. I'd, I'd always wanted to be on a show like that. I, I've been in the opera world for a long time and kind of wanted to, to branch out and do something commercially and also 
share a little bit of my story. So that's my audition. Interesting, Brandon. And I think that auditioning, tell us the challenges of auditioning and not and not being called back or not making it. Because again, in your field and in the entertainment field, there's a lot of no's in life. How do you handle that to, to be where you are today? When there, people, far, yeah. there are many more no's than there are yeses. Um, I think the, the best way to handle that is to, just to not compare yourself with anyone else. And if you understand that if you know your what your artistic vision is and you know that you yourself as an artist and you can't be the same as anyone else, you, no one does what you do and and they don't do what I do. So so therefore we're all different and I just try myself try to not compare myself to anyone else and realize that what I do is completely different and the different skill set, it, it touches people in a different way. So um, that's kind of just helped me be on my own and realize that no doesn't mean I suck. It just means it's not the right time or um, it's just not something that I'm right for and there, there are other opportunities. Exactly. All you need is that one yes, right? So, yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did it feel to become a finalist on America's Got Talent? And, I mean, those are a lot of yeses to get there. But how did it feel to become a finalist? Um, it was definitely a big honor because there was 10,000 acts, and then it was down to just 12 of us by the end of the TV show. Um, that whole experience happened to be very stressful for me because my story, um, which was all about coming out and my struggles with my parents and my family, was actually playing out in, in real time on television. So while my parents and my extended family and my brother's um, in particular, were watching at home. They, they were sort of seeing everything we'd gone through through the, the lens of a TV screen, and it 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 changed things in our family to, to actually watch all the struggles we had play out on television. It changed our relationship. It made us see each other differently. Um, so that, it was a very emotional experience. I, I think if I'd if I'd had a boring story or no story at all and just was in a competition, it would have felt a lot different. But because all that was going on at home, it was it was quite stressful, to be honest. Um, and then, of course, you know, going live on television and you have 90 seconds to perform for your life and then 14 million people watching at home and all that kind of stuff, that's, that's a stress all on its own. Especially when you've performed in front of crowds, Brandon, in your career, but not a crowd as large as that, right? For America's Got Talent, meaning the entire audience watching. No, when they start that countdown from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, and then they, they motion for 3, 2, 1, and then you're live on television. It's like, oh, I remember the, my legs were shanked. I was wearing this blue suit uh, singing the, a song called Heart by Alone, but it was in Spanish. And I just remember my legs were shaking <laughs> So the camera, I just, I remember seeing the camera, the, the, the one in front of me that was following me, it was, it panned up. So it just caught my, my torso up because I was so nervous. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely a, it's a, it's a real feeling. I always tell people it's kind of like being on a, a cross between, um, a game show. Um, let's see, like Slumdog Millionaire meets, uh, Requiem for a Dream. It's like a, a, a nightmare game show. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's that's funny. How how did your life change after America's Got Talent? 
and, you know, coming off of the show and all those experiences? Um, well, in so many ways, um, professionally it changed in that people started to, to notice what I was doing a lot more. I became a lot more visible. I had a, a very strong brand that I could carry with me. Um, personally, the things that changed that really mattered to me was that I was getting hundreds and hundreds of messages from kids who, who had been through or are going through what, what I went through. Um, and at a much younger age where, where they were kicked out of their homes or they ended up in hospitals because they were suicidal, um, like some really, really intense stories. And kids were asking me specifically through Facebook or through Twitter, um, what can I do? How can you, how can you help me? I need help. And I realized then how important it, it was, like you were saying, Sarah, to tell your story and um, how much that can help other people just by by telling them the struggles that you've been through. And I think, and and that's the role model, Sarah, that people can, a show, a platform like that can bring. Once you get that notoriety to pay it forward and to really be a good role model that can tell a story to help others, right, Sarah? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in so many ways, you know, bringing awareness into the experiences that you've had that you've dealt with, you know, it just promotes more positivity, more more awareness, more in, in, inclusiveness and openness, and really paves the way for future generations to have kind of a better experience in what you've dealt with and to, you know, hopefully better cope with that. Um yeah. Now, I mean, I personally, uh, you know, I, I volunteered with part of an AmeriCorps program and uh, stay free clinic. I don't think they call them that anymore. Health, health br- br- you know, br- brigades, excuse me. And they do a lot of, you know, awareness, too, on kind of the issues that you've done. Have you, um, you know, I'm sure uh, anyone who's, you know, dealt with this, um, definitely appreciates more openness on it, having more of a community. Do you do you feel like um, you know what kind of feedback do you do you get from people who who come to you and from organizations as well? Um, I think the most poignant thing that someone ever said to me um, was at the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington D.C. I was invited there. Um, with uh, many other entertainers to perform in the parade. And someone came up to me after my performance and said, I've been following you. I was following you on the TV show. And um, you're what I like to call an agent of change. Um, and those words really rang out to me. And it, it, it made me realize how much of a responsibility I took on by deciding to share my story and tell people what was going on and, um, I'm writing a memoir now, and the book is is kind of it's 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 weird because I'm not I'm not 40 years old yet, and I'm writing a memoir, which seems young by so many standards. Um, but uh, the book is kind of just a continuation of that story that I, I wanted to tell. And um, to be honest, when I was on the show, I, I told the producers, and this is this has to do with my HIV status. I, I'm openly HIV positive. I have been for 11 years. 
Um, and it's something I wanted to tell on the store on the, on the show, but I, um, my partner at the time was uncomfortable with it, and I ended up sort of changing my mind last minute, um, and still told another important story. But uh, but from from those experiences and from the, the things that people have told me, um, and the responsibility that I felt, it made me realize that um, I want to continue to to tell the story. I think it's important um, to continue to erase stigmas to help people and. Also, on, in a selfish place, um, it's like I said, it's been a, it's been a great catharsis. It's been important for me to to be able to to share this with people and to get it out of my body and to out into the world. Wow! Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. So, Brandon, so where can we find information on you and stuff like that, and learn about your book? Is your so your book's not out yet? Is that correct, Brandon? Are we close? What's happening with that for for our listeners it, to know? Yeah, it is not out. Um, it'll be published in 2019. Um, at some point, I'm, I'm not sure when. I'm I'm still working on the manuscript, um, but it's, it's it's going along quite nicely. And um, you can find information about me on my website. It's brandonjames.com. It's B-R-A-N-D-E-N-J-A-M-E-S.com. Um, so I'm, I'm a musician, obviously a singer still, and I play in a duo with my husband actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, awesome. I've right. yeah, yeah, that out. Absolutely. Brandon, yeah. I appreciate you calling. Especially absolutely. Sarah, we got to uh, go to our next guest. I appreciate you calling Brandon. Thanks for staying yeah. up with us in Iceland. Have a good trip and, uh, we'll definitely touch base soon. Okay. Thank you very much. You guys have a great have a great afternoon, a great evening. You take care. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Us. You're welcome. Bye bye. All right, you're listening to Neil Haley's right. show, and we'll be back in Bye-bye. just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program. This guy is the historian. He knows so much, and as a former uh, teacher in history and having an undergrad in history, I always enjoy talking to. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning author, New York Times bestselling author, John Meacham. John, thanks for calling. You're the author of The Soul of America, now your latest book. John, uh, I appreciate you stopping by. I'm thrilled. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's kind of go into this. This is the, I'm sure, the reason you've written this book is because this is the most divisive times in certain times in history, or it's, again, history repeats itself, John. So that's one reason you wrote this book, is you look at look back in history, and there have been times where the whole country is divided like this, and history changes, and we move forward, and a new era comes. So you wanted to kind of relate that to what's happening today. Isn't that correct, John? Absolutely. Uh, I think people believe, uh, I think somewhat narcissistically, if you will, that things have never been worse, uh, <laughs> that we're divided in ways that are, that are fundamentally different uh, from, from the past, to which I say, you know, Fort Sumter was a pretty bad sign yes. of, of division. Um, <laughs> the, the McCarthy era wasn't great. Uh, so what, what I wanted to do here is, in a nonpartisan way, because uh, I've voted for Democrats, I've voted for Republicans, uh, is look back and try to figure out where does this moment stand in, if you will, the history of division. That is, if you want to understand what's going on now, I think we, you have to understand what previous generations went through. And to pretend or to think that 
the country somehow or another entered a unique period of strife when Donald Trump became president is in many ways to turn to the past in a nostalgic way that does a disservice to the people, the civil rights activists, the women's suffrage activists, uh, the gay marriage activists, all of whom fought from generation to generation to remind us that we had to heed what Lincoln called our better angels. And reform is difficult. It takes a long time. It takes too long in many cases. But it's a fact of our history that the wider we open our arms, the more generously we interpret the Jeffersonian notion of equality, the stronger we become. And there is strength in diversity. And that's not a homily. That's not a Fourth of July point. It's not a partisan talking point. It's just true. And it came out of your state, man. I mean, Pennsylvania led the way way back. Religious tolerance, religious liberty, the Constitution, you know. It's exactly true, John. And I think when I look at this and I say history has repeated itself, we can look to world history. I know you didn't put that in the book. It's more United States history. But there's always times in history where we really are having a divided uh, world or a divided country and that we just have to understand that. Look at great. Look at uh, look at Britain when it was the powerhouse of powerhouses. And uh, they basically uh, were trying to take over the whole world. And then. Division came through the United States, and then the country uh, slowly but surely didn't wasn't the superpower. Do you see that this could happen to the United States in that way? Because the U.S. has always been able to overcome adversity. Do you feel that maybe we're in a time of Roman times or different times where finally the country will fall because of the divisions? I don't think the country will fall, but I do think it's history would, as you point out, history points out that empires uh, rise and fall, and there has been an American empire in a way. We, we have we've avoided the broad imperial commitments that Rome made, that uh, Britain made, that the Ottomans made. Uh, we we are our, our years as an occupying power are, are very limited uh, around the world. Doesn't feel that way in real time, but by and large, we, you know we're not trying to control distant continents. And I think that therefore, I think we are more durable. Um, there are worrying signs: uh, staggering debt, uh, a fraying civic culture, yes. a sense that. Uh, the problems of the present require not loyalty to old principles and old conventions, but require a new kind of uh, demagogic, if you will, uh, leadership. Uh, the promise of this presidency was, remember, I alone can fix it. Yes. Uh, that's the language of – that's the that's not the language of – Democratic lowercase d leadership. That's the language of dictatorial yes. leadership, and that's a that's a dangerous path to go down. I, I don't I don't know so much that that he meant it that way. No, not um, at all. I suspect not. I suspect he saw it as a I suspect he saw it as a branding opportunity, um, and and then I don't want to overreact. And, and one of the reasons I wrote this book is, uh, you know, I, every morning if you if if one opposes the president there's something to light your hair on fire about. And so what I'm trying to do is say, 
all right, here's the moments where you should pull out the matches, and here are the moments where <laughs> you should at least wait till lunch. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, what, what, what time in history would you say is most like this time right now? I think it's a history. combination of two things. Uh, one is the early, one one of one is the early 1930s. Uh, okay. Globalization at the moment has created this broad anxiety. Uh, there's there's a big question among the working class folks about whether the world will have a place for them uh, going forward. In the same way, the, the, the depression created similar anxieties uh, in the 30s. Uh, there were live options around the world, whether it was communism in Russia or totalitarianism in Europe. Uh, when Franklin Roosevelt became president, he had to deal with the question of whether or not democratic capitalism would survive the decade. And it's not a quite as pronounced as that, but the underlying factors uh, are, are, are similar. The other is the early 1950s, when Senator Joe McCarthy was hunting communists and using the media to stoke and exploit uh, popular fears and anxieties, uh, was dominating the culture. And President Trump understands the media of the day better than anyone, I think, around. It's similar to the way FDR understood the radio. It's similar to the way President Kennedy and President Reagan understood television. Uh, it's not only social media, but it's the vernacular, it's the vocabulary of reality TV. He understands how to put on a show. He understands how to build an audience and keep it. He yes. understands how to create suspense. Uh, you know, he'll announce, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you at two o'clock tomorrow. Tune in." Exactly. Uh, I'm gonna tell that you on May seventeenth about this. But John, you know, you know who like does like that? You know, like a network it, promo. But but that's what that's what uh, the uh, uh, certain communist countries have done, and certain socialist countries have used propaganda in that way to build and gain control of the masses. Hitler did that. I'm not comparing any of them, but yet that was what they used to gain the power and control of a country, right or wrong. I mean, the types of things that you get out there. He's, yeah, well, the, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, no, pop, popular leadership, uh, popular movements are um, complicated things. There are similarities uh, with different parts of the world. My own view, for what it's worth, is, is we can talk about where we are now without talking about uh, uh, the 1930s in Germany. Um, no, no. I think there are plenty of other examples. Uh, but but here's the thing. Um, we naturally focus on – I write books about uh, presidents, but this is as much about all of us as it is about him. Uh, a republic is only as good as the sum of its parts. That's the nature of a republic. It's an idea that begins with Plato. It runs through Aristotle. It goes through to the to Augustine and Aquinas, and yes. Machiavelli and James Madison, all the way up to where we are. The point of self-government, the point of, of a republic, is to enable people to live as freely as possible exactly. under a rule of law. And so, what we have to what we have to wonder is, what does the election of the most unconventional president in history tell us about all of us? And what it tells us is that we don't, you know, we, we don't love enough in common. We don't have the common faith in the institutions that have guided us for so long. And so we either restore those institutions or we, we replace them. All right. And yeah. it requires an immense amount of attention and energy. And it's wearying. It's tiring. I mean, I, I don't know if he's tweeted yet today, but uh, – <laughs> 
you know, it's it's hard. It's hard, but it's 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 as Lincoln right. said during the Civil War. This is an inestimable jewel worth the fight. Then big things are coming soon, especially the midterm elections in November. We'll see what happens to the country where uh, President Trump shifts if the balance of power happens. We've seen it in history, and we'll see it again. And that's what our democratic system is able to do. And John, best place we could purchase your book, The Soul of America, is in all finer bookstores. Amazon. Do you have a website, John, as well for people to purchase the book? I do, John, com, and uh, support those independent bookstores. Uh, go to Barnes & Noble. Go to Amazon. Um, let's just get this argument out there, and, and I hope it gives people a sense of proportion. John, you're fantastic. Thanks for calling. appreciate taking the time. All right, so Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program director Casey Tebow. Uh, Casey, thanks for calling. I know you're so enthused about Steven Tyler out on a limb. How are you, Casey? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, fantastic. Now, let's talk a little bit about your background, then we're going to get right into Steven Tyler out on a limb. Tell us about your background. I uh, grew up in New England. Um, uh, my dad is from this area. My mom, ironically, um, is from you guys' area. My mom's whole family is from uh, Mount Lebanon. Um, so it's been a lifelong of Patriots and Steelers fans really <laughs> fist fighting over Thanksgiving dinner. Um, that- I, uh, it's what I always wanted to do since I was a kid, and, and there just wasn't really many avenues you know, up this way. So uh, I got an opportunity to work with those guys in about 2003 and just kind of snowballed from there. Gotcha. And what do you think? Are you a huge music fan, especially for this for this whole thing with Steven Tyler and stuff? Is that one of your passions? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my dad was, uh, and my uncle as well, my uncle Billy will tell you stories about seeing Led Zeppelin and Frank Zappa in Pittsburgh. So I, it's in my blood for sure. I grew up, you know, listening to all that stuff and was lucky enough to, to get out of high school in the, in the mid-90s where they started having things like Woodstock 2 and Woodstock, you know, music in the 90s was, was huge. It was like Soundgarden and Change Addiction. So I've music's been a huge part of my life. Absolutely. So tell me how you got involved in this project to, to do this. I worked for the band for about a decade and there really, really wasn't much left to do. But I had, uh, Stephen had asked me to help him with his, his solo tour production. And uh, when I had seen him doing it, I was just kind of thrown back by how, how happy and stress-free he was. And I saw an opportunity there to make this documentary. And when you think of the time of Steven Tyler, Guns N' Roses, that's Stone Temple Pilots, that's what you're going to be talking about in this documentary, in, in that music. And you think that music is dying out, Casey, or do you think there's a lot of spinoffs now uh, of those bands I'm talking about? You know, it's a good question, and I've actually considered uh, my next project being about the death of rock and roll. I think that there's a lot of different factors It's that. You know, uh, Guns N' Roses is a copy of Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin, which is a copy of, you know, the Yardbirds, which is a copy of the old blues legends, which is a copy of, well, uh, uh, inspired by uh, old old blues, which comes from slave music. So it's like, how many times can you photocopy something here until most of the legible copy is gone? And 
I had a friend of mine who's a, a rock photographer say something pretty profound. He said, look, our parents thought Big Band was going to be around forever. Um, I just, rock and roll is hard to get rid of. I mean, it's just, it's culturally changed style, style and clothing and TV and movies. And, and, and I just feel like somebody needs to come in and kind of rearrange the industry because we live in an age where anybody can put their music on the internet and that doesn't necessarily mean it's good because there's no exactly. makers to... You know, to go through it. I mean, listen, movies are expensive to make. Yes. So you're not going to get a movie made if it's not really that good because people are spending a lot of money. Well, anybody and their uncle can make an album now. So if you can make an album and put it on the internet, who's to say that it's good, you know? And that's that. That's so true. Again, we're talking to director Casey Tebow, and we're talking about out on limb Steven Tyler. And here's where I'm going to give you this my overall take on this. The only thing saving music today are serious and different platforms that play this music all the time so that these artists will continue to be able to work for the rest of their lives because no one's going to duplicate their music. Until they decide, I don't want to perform anymore. And then they perform in Europe, and they perform all over the world. So it's kind of like rock and roll will never die based on artists that were rock and roll guys, but new rock and rollists, rock and roll artists, is just not going to happen. I think that there's a cultural change as well, because I've been down in South America and Japan with Aerosmith, and there's 80,000 kids in the stadium to see rock bands, and they love all rock and roll. Uh, and I think that there's something about America sort of turning its nose on Amer- on rock and roll and sort of looking at hip-hop and that culture, you know, being, you know, what's cool and where it's at. Um, you know, it's funny, there's, there's so many racial problems in America, but music has shifted to mostly rap and R&B. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of taken over the musical landscape, which is cool because it's a different kind of music. But um, I think it's kind of sad that rock and roll has been forgotten. Right. But again, like the death of disco... Uh, Casey, this could be the death of rock and roll. We'll find out based on, you know, how things go. And, you know, there's some mixtures of some of these artists. But what are we going to surprise to see about Steven Tyler that we don't know about Steven in this film? Uh, That he's not just the crazy androgynous lead singer of Aerosmith. He's a really good guy. He's very selfless. And, you know, there's a lot of things he does on a whim. And in the movie, there's a scene where he literally just decides one day he wants to go take a supersonic jet up into the stratosphere so people can see that in the movie. So he's not as uh, quirky and crazy as his persona on stage is, Casey, then? No, he's a pretty down-to-earth guy. Were you surprised the first time you met him that he was a little different than his his persona on stage? Um, you know, I don't know. I think that... Um, all of the guys in Aerosmith, to an extent, I've met them all and spent time with them all, and I've always been amazed at the way that their children look. This is—I'm not trying to say that their kids should have been bad people, but when you're hugely rich and hugely successful, uh, everybody—Joe, even Joey, Tom, Brad—their kids are all my age and a little bit younger. And they all turned out to be such amazing, endearing people. And I, I think that one of the reasons that the guys in the band were able to do that is because they remained living in New England. I think if you live in New York City or L.A., there's a yes. lot of outside influences of 
parties and parties and celebrity culture, and it's just not a good atmosphere to raise children. So I think there's people always ask me why I didn't move to L.A., and I'm like, I want to raise my kids in New England, and I think that's a big part of it. Well, that's fantastic, Casey, and uh, where can people go ahead and stream the film now? Where's the best place they can go? Uh, it comes out on uh, Amazon and uh, iTunes and most cable providers, you know, Comcast, Xfinity, uh, Time Warner, whatever it is you have. Awesome. And what's next for you, Casey? Do you have something else after this uh, really amazing experience for yourself? Yep. I got a big music project I'm working on, and I have another uh, narrative action movie I'm working on in the fall. So. Hey, and you're, and you're still living in Boston then. So, okay, so you, what's going to happen? How are the Patriots yep. going to cheat against the Steelers this year, Casey? <laughs> How are the refs going to? Uh, they'll probably take another one of their watch, watch the players like James Harrison and get some inside info from him. <laughs> All right, Casey, do you have social media we can connect with you as well? I'm sorry? Do you have social media, Casey, that we can connect with you on social media and stuff? Yeah, my... Uh, just, um, yes. You'll find out my work where I'm available. All right. Well, awesome. We'll Google you as well. Thanks again for calling, Casey, and thanks for, and best of luck. Take care. Bye. You'll listen to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.